What is up, my dudes? Welcome back to Olympia Oddities. I'm Trista. I'm cruising for a bruising, so I must be Steven. And today we're here to tell you about the unsolved disappearance of Mary Johnson. Mary disappeared while walking down the road to her friend's house. Her estranged husband didn't report her missing until the next month, and her family was unaware that she was missing until he officially reported it. Let's get into some of the details of Mary's life and her disappearance. Mary was born on August 31st, 1981 in Washington. Johnson and her three sisters are Tulalip tribe members and they all grew up in the foster care system. Jerry Davis, the youngest of the sisters, said that her sister Mary was the kind of person who would give you the shirt off her back. Her older sister, Nona, told CBS News that Mary was spunky, lovable, and a jokester. She's quoted as saying, she's just a good person to be around. She made you laugh when you're sad. She gave you love and hugs when you're sad. She was nice all around to everybody, strangers on the street. She just sounded like a really sweet, nice person. She really did, yeah. In the months before Mary's disappearance, her sister Jerry said that her sister just wasn't acting like her usual self. Mary and her husband had been living with Jerry in her house in Sedra Woolley, but they had abruptly moved out. They moved to Marysville, a town about 40 miles away. After the move, it was harder for Jerry to get in touch with Mary. She started rarely answering her phone and would only occasionally reply to texts. It was shocking when one day, out of nowhere it seemed, Mary's husband contacted Jerry to let her know that her sister was missing. The last time anyone said that they had seen her was on November 25th, 2020. She'd last been seen walking east on Fire Trail Road, headed to her friend's house. She was 39 years old at the time of her disappearance. Wow. While a lot is unknown about the exact circumstances surrounding Mary Johnson's disappearance, investigators were able to compile a timeline using cell phone records as well as interviewing people who saw her. They discovered that, like her sister Jerry had said, Mary's relationship with her husband was on the rocks. She was mainly staying with her friends, but would return to the house the couple shared every few days to shower and pick up her mail. On November 24th, the day before Mary's disappearance, her husband had dropped her off at a male friend's house. Mary had brought a suitcase along with her. Mary told her friend about her and her husband's relationship troubles and how she was worried that he was going to move to California and take some shared belongings of theirs with him. So, yeah, to me, it definitely sounds like a relationship in trouble, showing oh, up with a suitcase and the fact that she was worried that he was just going to take off with some of their, like, mutual belongings. Which, not uncommon. Yeah. Unfortunately. No. I know a couple people that's happened to. Oh, yeah, I do, too, unfortunately. I know things, or not things, but I know people that that's currently happening to them, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Her friend drove her to the Tulalip Tribal Court so she could get some legal advice. Once there, she spoke to a security guard, but no attorneys were available to speak with her. She spent the night at her friend's house, which went along with her original plans for her stay. She was supposed to stay with this friend for the first night, and then he would give her a ride to a nearby church where another friend would pick her up and drive her to a friend's house in Oso. Unfortunately, Mary would discover in the morning that her plans wouldn't go the way that she wanted them to at all. A third man, who was also staying at the same friend's house as Mary, decided that he also wanted a ride, so he decided to come along with them. And it kind of seems like it was just like a invited himself along type scenario. It's kind of like, you're going the way I want to go. Quote, unquote. <laughs> I 
I might as well tag along with you. According to a warrant filed in Snohomish County Superior Court, Mary and the other man were waiting inside their friend's truck impatiently. The friend driving got angry and yelled for the other man to get out of the truck. Instead, both he and Mary got out of the truck and began walking east down 140th Street Northwest, which is better known as Fire Trail Road. This was around 1.30 in the afternoon on November 25th. When Mary's friend got to the church, though, she wasn't there. He decided to drive up Fire Trail Road and soon spotted her walking along the road with the man who had gotten kicked out of the truck. The friend drove past them and sent Mary a text explaining that there was too much stuff in his car to fit both of them in it. A short while later, Mary sent a reply text to him that said that she was almost to the church. According to her phone records, this is the last text that she ever sent, and it was sent at 1.52 p.m. It's interesting to note that she had been in contact with this man every day in the month leading up to her disappearance. He told the police that he hasn't seen from Mary or heard from her since that text. I just thought that that was kind of like a weird little detail to put in there, like a... That is a weird little, yeah. It's just weird that she'd been communicating with him like so heavily up before her disappearance like that. That entire time. Detectives interviewed the man who had been walking with Mary along the road, and he told them that he had split away from Mary, and she'd finished walking to the church alone while he'd went to a friend's house. He also told them that he hadn't seen from her or heard from her since. Which, I don't think that that's, like, totally, like, that bizarre, because I've definitely walked with friends before, and then, like, they go off to their home, and I keep on going to where I'm going. But also, at the same time, it's kind of, like, if you're a guy walking with, like, a woman to a destination, don't you want to, like, make sure she gets there safe? I guess it depends on your prerogative. I guess I personally would, but, yeah, that's, yeah, that is weird. Maybe he's just, yeah, it's just kind of, like, well, I don't want to, like, backtrack or nothing, or I don't want to, he's like, screw this crap. (laughs) Mary had also apparently left a voicemail on her friend's phone at the house she was headed to in Oso shortly before she vanished. The warrant describes her as sounding panicked in this call, and she had asked her friend to pick up the phone. At 2.30, Mary made another call. Her friend answered, but told her that she was preoccupied and couldn't talk to her. It's like, I'm sure that woman feels bad now, or that friend feels bad now, but like, if your friend calls you and sounds like really, really panicked, like... What could you possibly be doing? Yeah, no, if somebody calls me a couple times in a row. Yeah. Yeah, like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to like, hey, what's going on? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to assume that like something either hilarious or terribly, terribly wrong is going on. Yeah. Like, unless you're in the middle of brain surgery, if your friend calls you and sounds that freaked out. Oh, yeah. You should, should probably, you should, probably go. should probably figure Check out what's going out. on. You know what I mean? <laughs> At least make sure that they're safe, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, investigators discovered that about an hour later, Mary's phone connected to a cell tower in the area of Oso. The distance from Fire Trail Road to Oso is about 25 miles away. Wow. And Mary didn't have a car or a driver's license. There was no way that she could have made it that distance in just two hours. Yeah, that's... So that kind of leans to her being either, like, abducted and moving in a car, you know what I mean? <clears throat> that's Or a, getting that's a, a ride with someone. Oh, yeah. And that she was just spritting like a puma, which is, in, again, impossible. The phone's location stayed in Marysville through the night and into the morning, when it was finally turned off or the battery died. Mary's husband reported her missing two weeks after she had last been seen walking down the road, on December 9th, 2020. He gave a pre-typed statement to the police. He told the detectives that they would usually talk every two days or so, but he hadn't heard from her. His worries grew when he discovered that Mary hadn't been collecting her monthly welfare checks she received. 
She would usually pick them up on the same day they arrived, so it was out of character for her. Okay, quick question. Do you think the pre-type statement is weird? Yeah, that is a little bizarre. I also thought it was kind of weird that he waited two weeks. And it's weird. It doesn't seem like he... I, I, I wonder if he went to her family or the police first. Because, you know, like, you think that you'd call around to, like, friends and family, especially if you're, like, already estranged. Yeah, have you heard yeah, have from you seen this? Them, yeah, you know? have you seen them? Are they okay? You know, it, it, I just, yeah, that is, that that's, that's bizarre. Specific, yeah, pre-typed statement, that's, that's a weird red flag. Like, who does that? The only thing I could think of is if you were, like, nervous. Maybe if you were a person who was, like, afraid of, or, like, just nervous and wary of interacting with police in general as you, you know sometimes should be um being or like even here like, i'm not gonna say anything i'm not gonna put my foot in my mouth because it's gonna be typed out yeah. i could see like maybe that justification but i do still think that it's just a little weird and the two weeks no that's, that's a long time i was gonna say really that think about it that or even like where he's just trying to like get everything straight i guess on paper but even then still <sighs> That's just weird, and you're not that involved in her life, so why, at that point, when you're, you're talking every two days, you're talking every couple of days, mm -hmm. and then you wait another two weeks before, that's just, that's weird. It is. A Tulalip Tribal Police Department detective wrote in the warrant that the fact that she has left many thousands of dollars in tribal welfare checks uncashed is a significant indicator that she is being held against her will or is deceased. The case remains an open and active investigation, though few leads have turned up. The police department has identified a few people of interest in the case, but no one has been arrested. Tulalip Tribal Police Department Detective David Saley said, Because a body hasn't been recovered, it's difficult for investigators to establish the probable cause necessary for certain search warrants. He also noted that because Mary wasn't reported missing until two weeks after her actual disappearance, Evidence like surveillance footage and precise location information has probably been lost. Oof. I know, that's so sad, because those places, it's like, the surveillance surveillance footage is so helpful, but some of those places, it's like, and we get rid of it at the end of the day. It's like, well, who does that help, you know? That are, like, even in some cases where, like, I've even worked at some, some places that are like this, where they just have fake cameras up not connected to anything like they're just there yeah. and then people come up and it's like well can i get your like camera footage or whatever and they're like oh yeah no those aren't real like that's just severely it's so frustrating authorities also aren't certain that mary johnson disappeared on or off the reservation which makes it unclear if they can leverage federal grand jury subpoena powers or not since so much is unknown about her disappearance it's difficult for investigators to settle on a main theory detective saley said that we don't know if she was kidnapped, held against her will, if she'd been murdered. It could be argued that maybe she just wandered off into the woods and got lost. Maybe she overdosed and passed away in some remote area and we don't know where she's at. Maybe she's just hiding. Maybe she's in treatment, Saley said. There's a lot of maybes. Okay. I'm a little bit irritated with this quote. She I was walk too. she had a plan. She was walking to meet her friend. She didn't just detour and go into treatment into a treatment facility. It just seems like, kind of, like, I get that there's a lot of maybes. There's a lot of unknowns in this. It just seems a little lazy. Doesn't no, I totally agree with you. That's just... Uh, <sighs> like, what in the world? We're making so many assumptions at one time. Yeah, and it and... just seems weird that it's, like, maybe she's in hiding. It just seems like, 
maybe she's in treatment maybe she overdosed somewhere like that's just I'm, I'm like those are just so first off i feel like offensive and also vague at the same time and very stereotypical mm-hmm. and it's like what about her phone pinging 25 miles away in a time of thing that she couldn't have covered on foot you know what i mean it just seems weird that she seemed to be communicating her plans with her friends you know what i mean like her plan had a series of friends that were all in communication with her to set up the plan and you know do it text me when you get to the church parking lot to just all of a sudden be like she just disappeared and didn't contact any of those people ever again no i don't accept that something awful probably happened to this woman and they need to figure out what it was I agree with you. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox now, but <laughs> I get heated over these ones. No, I I do too. It is it's frustrating. The FBI offered a $10,000 reward to anyone with information on Mary Johnson's disappearance. Mary's family appreciates the gesture, but does feel that it's too little too late, along with activists working the issue of missing and murdered indigenous women cases, who also feel like the hang-ups the police faced on the case were more like excuses. Abigail Echohawk is the chief research officer on the Seattle Indian Health Board and said that one of the main issues in solving the crisis is the maze of jurisdiction. In cases of missing Indigenous women, prosecutors and law enforcement have to figure out whether the case belongs to the federal government, the state, or tribal police. Echohawk says that the time it takes to determine the jurisdiction of the case can ultimately affect whether those women live or die. So, you know, that crap. <sighs> That that will always forever just 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 annoy and piss me off. The whole well, we gotta figure out no, just combine your manpower, combine your resources, and fucking figure it out. It's like the same thing with like one of one of my biggest harps uh, in like the science community is like the way that they separate like departments and whatnot among states and 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 such specifically within like the government whereas they're all more worried about who's gonna get like more money and whatnot by like their findings and whatnot instead of combining and getting to a faster and a, a healthier for the people do it for the people yeah things definitely need to change in the way that these cases are handled because it's just it's inexcusable. You heard how frustrated I am. Yeah. <laughs> this maze of jurisdiction that exists, that is, who does what investigations and who's responsible for what, is part of the system of inequity, Echo Hawk said. Anita Lucesi, who is the executive director of a research group called, so called Sovereign Bodies Institute, says that it's the reason that so many cases of missing and murdered women remain unsolved. Sovereign Bodies Institute sounds like an umbrella corporation. It kind of does. Just right off the bat. I just kind of <laughs> wanted to throw that out there. They're doing good work, though. I, I sincerely believe that. Jurisdiction issues can also affect how tribal authorities are able to charge non-Native people successfully. Adding to the issue, the federal government, which usually does have that authority, sometimes doesn't decide to act on these cases. Just government being the government, you know. Indigenous women are often victim-blamed and blamed for their own disappearances. This results in a lack of empathy from police and the general public. Echo Hawk said that they are assumed to have been killed, murdered, or disappeared. They're assumed to have run away, to have substance abuse issues, to have done something that caused them to go missing or to be murdered. Lucesi said that those attitudes only perpetuate the problem and make it easier for perpetrators to avoid accountability. She's quoted as saying, 
That kind of narrative about indigenous people just lends itself to more violence, so that when this violence does happen, it's not a disruption of the fo- of the social fabric the way it would be when it happens to somebody else, she said. Because we're already perceived as not part of the social fabric. Because we're either dead or disappeared. We're less than human. We're so far away on some remote res- some remote reservation that we're not part of the rest of the community. I'm I think not- that's so heartbreaking that they feel that way you know what i mean and you know rightfully so when this is the way that these cases are handled not at all you know i was just gonna say as far as i know i don't have direct ties to indigenous people i am half mexican but i don't know like the full extent of that but thank you for like i love that i just love the way that she phrased that like the perfect explanation of like why just just assumptions it's all assumptions and then they just don't follow up on it because you're kind of like oh they probably had so and they could have been a model citizen it's the whole concept of the less like like just people that like aren't cared about as much as other people when they go missing including people who have substance abuse problems uh sex workers and that's yeah indigenous women people you know from all sorts of races get unfortunately like because of racism and sexism and you know social stigma surrounding substance abuse issues they're like just kind humans. of treated as disposable and yes they are 100% still humans absolutely of course like they're i don't i don't even want to go down the like they're somebody's kids route because they just themselves are a human and that is enough absolutely once again getting back down off the soapbox <laughs> it's getting a lot of use this episode i'm sorry i'll keep it i'll keep it ready over here Sadly, Mary Johnson is just one of the countless missing or murdered indigenous women or girls in this country. It's a nationwide crisis that's hard to get exact numbers on. The existing numbers likely show a number much smaller than the reality because of factors like indigenous women and girls often getting misclassified as white, Asian, or Latina. According to the National Crime Information Center, there's about 1,500 missing American Indian and Alaska Native people across the United States. The federal government's Uniform Crime Reporting Program says that there's approximately 2,700 cases. Lucesi's Sovereign Body (laughs) Institute has a much higher account, with more than 4,500 cases that date back to the 90s. At least I hope we're saying that person's last name right. Yeah, we are trying. (laughs) I think it's Lucesi. Washington has the second highest number of missing and murdered indigenous women cases in the entire country. Wow. In response to this, the Attorney General of Washington announced the creation of a 21-member task force responsible for examining the inequality in these cases. Echo Hawk has an organization that recently completed a project with the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office where they work to reform database systems and train staff on how to properly collect racial identity and tribal affiliation information from victims of crimes. On a nationwide level, Interior Secretary Deb Holland announced a new unit earlier in 2021. This unit is dedicated to investigating the murders and disappearances of indigenous people. Mary Johnson's location remains unknown and her case is still in active investigation. So you want to get into some theories and kind of things that kind of raised red flags for us in this episode? I'm into it. Let's go. Let's go. All right. So I've got a list of like my personal people of interest in this case. I definitely think the friend whose house she was staying at, but I kind of rule him out because he seemed helpful. Like, he took her to the tribal center and tried to get her to talk to an attorney. So now that I'm saying that, I think I might rule him out. Yeah. 
The yeah. guy who got kicked out of the truck and was walking with her. That guy was sus. He's a suspect, in my opinion. And the friend who was supposed to pick her up at the church. And her estranged husband. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm kind of leaning on... I was leaning on the husband earlier, but at the same time, it's like they they were divorcing, right? Or In the separating, midst of that? Yeah. Separating, yeah. So, I mean, that also kind of makes sense where he's almost in the mentality of like, eh, I'm kind of sick of you. Like, I don't really want to hear from you all that often. Thus, why they were talking every couple of days. But... Yeah, no, that is weird. That like, like even if we were to like separate or whatever, like, yeah, no, I, I would like definitely kind of get inquiry within a week. Like, I wouldn't spend like two weeks. Like, even we, like, even within like two or three days, I'd be like, that's kind of weird. She didn't hit me back. I'm writing that into my Gone Girl inspired disappearance <laughs> plans for when I do that maneuver. All right, I know that I've got two to three days before Steven reports me missing. Well, this see, I've seen that timeline. movie, so now I've got my, I've got my, I know how to reverse Ben Affleck the situation. I know how to reverse Ben Affleck the situation. If you don't go to my vigil and stand there and look so guilty, I'm well, if you gone, so upset. no, if you gone girl the whole situation, then I'm just going to Mexico. That makes you look more guilty. That's gone girl in it. Well, I know it's fake, and that doesn't matter. Then, the, then I'm out of jurisdiction, so it's okay. Okay, we are. <laughs> okay, we're off topic. <laughs> All right, so I think that my personal like person that I would like them to look more into is definitely that guy who like invited himself along yeah. into the plans to ride along to the church, and yeah. then was acting like annoyingly enough that he got kicked out, and then was just like, "Yep, she just left." And I mean, he was technically the last person to see her, along with the friend who was in the car, but. He would be even the last person, the guy walking with her would be the last person, according to his story, because they split up and she went alone. Yeah. I d yeah, I still think of the dude that that got kicked from the car. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he, he had something to do, possibly do with that. Yeah. I definitely think he, think he at least knows more information than he's oh, like yeah. letting people know that he does. Definitely. And then we kind of talked about this earlier, but just we kind of thought it was a little suspicious for how long it took for her to be reported missing. And then that pre-typed confession, or not confession, pre-typed no, like account. Yeah, account of her disappearance, I guess. Yeah. Is, I don't know. I don't know why I stumbled report, over my words. Police yeah. report, I guess. Yeah. Was, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, th th this one's really weird. Really, really fishy. But I don't think it was any of the cops' assumptions either. Yeah, no, I definitely think that something happened to her. I Absolutely. think that she was taken against her will. Well, I hope that her family can get the closure that they deserve one day. No, I definitely do too. That's that's rough. No one deserves to have that done to themselves or their family in general. No. Thank you for listening to another episode of Olympia Oddities. If you want to support the podcast, you can follow the Facebook or Instagram for the podcast at Olympia Oddities Podcast on both. Leave us a positive review or recommend us to a friend. If you want to submit an idea for an episode or tell us about a spooky paranormal experience or cryptid sighting you had, you can DM us or email us at olympiaoddities at gmail.com. If you want us to include your name and give you a little shout out, remember to send that in along with it and permission for us to use it. Remember to check out our new sideshow, Sideshow. I'm Trista and you can follow my personal Instagram at saloonghost. I'm Steven. You can catch me on the local CB radio as Rusty Shackelford. Otherwise, I'm also on Instagram at the Steven Ramirez. And this will be our last official episode for this year, but we will have another Sideshow episode coming for you guys out soon, and we are definitely going to hit 2022 
super hard. I'm bringing my A game. I have some amazing stories lined up for you guys. Oh yeah, she just ran me through them, and I'm I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we got some. It's good. Oh, it's good. We got some weird ones. Ballpark. We got some good ones. We got. Oh, there's some solid gold. Oldies we've got wholesome. We've got spooky. We've got sad. We've got enlightening. <laughs> dare I? Enlightening. Yeah. Dare I say yeah. <laughs> enlightening? <laughs> All right. We're going to get out of here. Until next time, friends. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year.